Open your Bibles, two places, the book of Leviticus and the book of Proverbs. Have, have your Bibles open, Leviticus and Proverbs. Ordinarily, we worship in two services on Sunday morning, and so I have to pace myself. I can't sing like I want to sing. I can't worship like I want to worship because I'm going to have to do it twice as long as the rest of you. But today, I could just let it all hang out, and, and I've sung my throat raw, and I'm so, so blessed to be a part of Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're listening to this sermon on the internet or on another day, understand that on today when we're worshiping, this is our 143rd anniversary, and, and that just absolutely blows my mind, and I am so very, very thankful to God for the privilege of being a part of Woodburn Baptist Church in this very, very small sliver of its history that I call my life. It's absolutely, absolutely thrilling to be your pastor. I love you from the bottom of my heart. I love worshiping with you. I love the first song that the choir did. I could have had lunch and gone home after come to the cross. That was so absolutely wonderful. God bless you all. I just, this is a small thing, but I love the quartet. I just love those guys, but I would give, I would give anything. I'd give a kidney to have that bass voice that Tyler has. Isn't that awesome? Man, he'd step into that microphone and just belt out a note that, that would make my glasses rattle. You know what I'm saying? Could you just feel those low notes? Oh, I wish I, I, wish I had that voice. What an amazing, amazing congregation we have. We have so many wonderful, wonderful things as Christians and as a body of Christ here at Woodburn Baptist. We take it all for granted. We do not understand how blessed, how very wealthy we are as a Christian body. And I just want to remind you today of all that we have to celebrate. I also want to remind you that while I know that God is pleased, I pray that God is pleased with our worship and our celebration today, our feasting today, I also know that God's primary commission for us was not to come and celebrate, but but to go and share. Did you remember that? Not to come and celebrate. What we're doing today is good, and there is a place for it, and I'm delighted to be in this place today. But our primary commission as a church is not to come and celebrate, but to go and to share. That's why I remind you, I'm preaching a sermon series entitled, Blessed Are the Poor. And I want to bring you to some scriptures today to remind you of what we are to be as God's people. I need a lot of reminding and I actually need a whole lot of help because I'm really not very good sometimes at remembering how blessed I am and also how little other people have. One day when I lived in Louisville, uh, I was driving across town. I don't remember what I was doing, but I, I ran across one of those guys out on the street corner by himself with a sign that said, we'll work for food. Now, in a city like Bowling Green, in a city like Franklin, in a city like Louisville, there are so many people like that on the street, and I'm accustomed to passing them. I'm accustomed to passing them. But this particular day, I felt the voice of the Lord tell me very strongly to stop and help this man. It was a strong voice from the Lord. I listened to him. I argued a bit, but eventually I pulled over and I stopped to help the man. My argument with God was not because I didn't want to obey. I just didn't know what to do for him. I honestly just hardly ever know what to do. My heart does break for the suffering of other people, and I can hardly stand to bear it, but I just don't always know what to do. The man has a sign that says, we'll work for food, and I have no work to give him, and I don't know what to do when I get over there, but God just told me I could feed him. I could feed him, and I thought for a moment that I'll just go and I'll get some food and bring it back and sort of throw it out the car and drive on, but no, God told me very, very clearly that I needed to just stop and put him in my car and take him to get something to eat. 
It was an opportunity not just to provide food, but perhaps to share Christ with a needy man, and, and, and I was ready to do that. I pulled my car over into the parking lot behind where he was standing with his sign. It was a very crowded parking lot, just cars right next to each other. And I squeezed my car in, and I went over to the man. I approached him from the rear. He was a little startled by me. He wasn't expecting someone. And I said, sir, I don't have any work to offer you, but, but I would love to take you and buy you a meal. Would you allow me to take you in my car, and let's go up the street, and, and let's get a sandwich? He said, I would appreciate that. I, I, I would appreciate that. Thank you. And so we started walking back to my car, walking back to the car with the man. I, I was about to open my door, and I remember, this is back in the days before key fobs, understand. I had to open the door with my key. And I decided to go ahead and treat this man with real respect, almost like my girlfriend. I ran around his door. I was going to let him in first, and that's what I was doing. Uh, remember, we were parked in cars were very, very closely parked. And this man was actually a, a large man and would barely fit between the cars. I barely fit between the cars. As I was unlocking his door, I felt him start to lean on me, and then I realized he was collapsing, and he collapsed on me. And so he started coming back, and I started going back, and, and as it turned out, he fell on me, and we were both wedged. He unconscious, I very conscious, but at this point, very, very alarmed at the fact that this large man, full weight on top of me, and I could not get out. I could not get out. Right before I started yelling for help, I felt something I didn't anticipate, and I'm not kidding, I'm not making a joke. His bladder emptied on me, on me. I felt the warmth and the wetness, and I started screaming, help, somebody please help me, help us. And suddenly there were some guys around. They, they, they pulled me out from under him. We brought the man out and called 911. I, I just stood there. I was wet from here to here, and I smelled. And I stood there, and the EMT guys came, and they took the man I was going to help. They took him off to the hospital, and I went home to change clothes. And honestly, for a moment, I sort of argued with God again. I said, God, what was the purpose of that? Why did you put me through that? I didn't get to help the man. I never, ever bought him a meal. All that happened is he fell on me, he peed on me, and now here I am. What a day this is going to be. And in the middle of my complaining to God, if you've ever done anything like that, I felt God chastising me. I felt God chastising me, saying to me, let's just stop, let's think about your day. Because honestly, I had had a rather rough morning. A large man fell on me, remember, and peed on me, remember. But I was going back home. I had a home. And I went home and I changed clothes. I had other clothes. And when it was over, I went on and had lunch because I can afford food and I went ahead and did the rest of my work that week because I had work to do. And I started thinking about the man on the corner. I don't know if he lived. I don't know if he lived. And if he lived, when he was released from the hospital, he was released alone to go back to that corner and beg. I just don't think enough about what I have 
and about what others don't have. But honestly, when I do think, I, I just get overwhelmed. I don't know. I honestly don't know what to do. I don't know how to help. When I see the politicians get involved and try to help, something tells me they're not really interested in helping anyone but themselves. I just don't trust them to help the poor. I'm not sure I trust them to help anyone. I just don't feel like that any of the solutions offered so far are actually going to make a difference to people who are really, really in need. But everything I see in Scripture tells me that God is very, very concerned, that God's heart is always turned toward the poor, and that God's heart breaks for them. And if we have God's heart in us, our heart should break for them also. So I want us to take a look at Scripture this morning and try to zero in on exactly what we can do, exactly what God wants us to do, not as Democrats, not as Republicans. Forget that. We are God's people. We are Christians. Our number one allegiance is to him. Let's find out what God wants us to do. Let's start with a basic definition. What is poverty? How would you even define what it means to be poor? In the overflow, James Weekly, give them your very best definition of poverty. In this room, somebody tell me, what is poverty? What would you say? How would you define it? Yeah, what would you say, Mike? Yeah. We tend to define poverty in terms of a lack of basic needs. And of course you're right, exactly right. We think of poverty in terms of of, of there being a a lack of basic needs. Now, at this moment, I'm going to have someone help me in this sermon. He is a Brazilian pastor on, on video. This is a recording. His name is Claudio Oliver, and he is an amazing pastor, an amazing man. Now, he speaks with a Portuguese accent. You're going to have to listen closely sometimes. But he's going to give us his definition of what poverty is. I want you to listen to what he says because the challenge he brings us, honestly, can be shattering for us. This is Pastor Claudio Oliver, a wonderful pastor from Brazil, going to define poverty for us. Please watch. What is poverty? Because this is the most important question if you want to, to work with the poor. I was invited to, to speak to a group of theologians and I asked them to define for yourself what is poverty. And they said to me, you know, lack of money, lack of housing. And they tried try to define poor by lots of lacks. Then I decided to ask them a second question. And I, I could invite you to, to pass through the same exercise I proposed to them. So I said, I'm giving you the news that you lost all your money, all your savings, your house, your family, and you have nothing. And you are basically homeless and I'm announcing this to you so tell me how much time you need to find something to eat today how much time you need to find a place to sleep tonight how much time you need to find something to do you know a kind of work or anything that you can do to start again 
for the first question, they said to me, you know, a question of minutes. You know, they could find someone in their relationship that can give them something to eat. And a question of a couple of hours to find a place to, to sleep tonight. And the majority said to me a question of a week to find something to do after recover of the emotional impact of losing everything. And I asked them why. And I answered myself, I said, because you're not poor. Because poverty, when defined by, by this lack of education, opportunity, money, housing, or whatever, is, is an assumption that leads us to help the poor, giving them education, jobs, opportunities, money, and we need to confess we're giving a lot of money, billions and zillions of dollars in the last 50 years, and the world is becoming poorest, and nobody has been really transformed by giving away just money. I said to them they, are not, they were not poor because they have friends, because poverty is basic, lack of friends. He asked the question, consider that I'm giving the news that you've lost everything, all of your money, you've lost your family, you've lost your home, you've lost your job, you have nothing. How long would it take you to find something to eat? How long would it take you to find a place to stay tonight? How long would it take you to find something else to do? Honestly, when I first heard the question posed me, it was jarring. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine losing everything. But then I begin to think it through and I realize if, if, if I lost uh, everything, I would probably find something to eat in a matter of minutes. That's what Pastor Claudio says. I could find within 15 minutes or so, somebody would share food with me. And probably by bedtime, I could find somebody who's going to let me sleep on their couch tonight. I just could. And give me another week or two, I could find something to do. It might not be the income that I would prefer, but I could find something to do. And Pastor Claudio asked, why is that? Why would you be able to do that so quickly? And his answer is, it's because you're not poor. You're not poor. And even if you lost everything, there's still something true about the fact that it would not necessarily make you poor. So poverty is truly perhaps having less to do with the lack of things like food and, and money and, and, and the lack of a house. Perhaps it's something more profound, maybe something simpler. Look to God's word with me. Leviticus chapter 25 is the first uh, verse I want to take you to. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 35, 36, 37, and 38. This is from the Old Testament Levitical law, but it's instructions about how to deal with the poor among you. And you'll notice I'm using a translation that's closer to the NIV instead of usually the New Living that I use. Listen to what the Word of God says here, the Old Levitical law. If one of your countrymen falls into poverty and cannot support himself, help him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident, here's the phrase, so he can continue to live among you. Underline that phrase in your Bible. 
Do not charge interest or profit at his expense. Instead, fear your God so that your countrymen may continue to live among you. Remember, do not charge interest on money you lend him or make a profit on food you sell him. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to the, give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. There's that phrase repeated, not just twice, but throughout this passage about the poor. You've got to help him so that he can continue to live among you. You've got to fear your God and help him so that he can continue to live among you. It's a really fascinating phrase, and it's a fascinating principle that in God's word, in the book of Leviticus, and in the ancient people of God, The real danger for the one who was poor, it really has less to do with all that they don't have. The danger is that they will lose their place in the community. What God does not want to happen is that there would be people who would slip through the cracks, who would lose their place among everybody else. Fear the Lord your God, the scripture says, and do whatever you must do to help him so that he can continue to live among you. Interesting. Interesting. You must not let people become invisible. You must not let people slip through the cracks. You must not let them lose their place in the community among everybody else. Now to the book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 7. Notice what the scripture says here. Proverbs 19, 7. The relatives of the poor despise them. How much more will their friends avoid them? Though the poor plead with them, their, say the words, their friends are gone. Interesting. The relatives of the poor despise them. How much more their friends. What are we saying here? It's a very basic scriptural principle that poverty alienates. Poverty alienates. And in scripture, this becomes one of the primary concerns that the poor become alienated. The scripture says their family will have nothing to do with them and their friends will have even less to do with them. Isn't that interesting? Poverty alienates. One more proverb. This one's from Proverbs 14, verse 20 and 21. Look at what the word of God says here. The poor are despised even by their neighbors while the rich have many friends. It is a sin to belittle one's neighbor. Blessed are those who help the poor. Notice that in Scripture, obviously the poor are lacking in food and lacking in money and lacking in shelter. We can define poverty in in terms of all of those things that are, are lacking. But don't miss the very simple biblical principle that the thing that makes a person truly poor Lack of friends. Lack of friends. The homeless man I talked to recently, with tears coming down his eyes after he tried to attempt suicide, said, I don't have anybody. I don't have anybody. Poverty alienates. Friendship restores. Do you want to help the poor? I want to help the poor then it's very, very simple. You be a friend. You be a friend. Well, don't they have family? I mean, everybody out there, isn't that got to be somebody's brother, somebody's son? If you see a woman out there homeless, I mean, my goodness, she belongs to somebody. She's got family. And Brother Tim, last week you said that people ought to take care of their family. You're exactly right. But but, but you're living in the same world I'm living in, so, so let's stop and think about it. 
One of the characteristics of the last few decades in our culture, the United States, is the way families are falling apart. Are you noticing this? Families fall apart. And you can look at all the statistics on poverty in the United States, and there are several things that are absolutely constant and and, and absolutely undeniable, that the more divorce and the more people who never, ever marry and the more children there are who are raised in single-parent homes, the more the family breaks down, understand, the more poverty that there is. And the only way to turn some of this around is to restore families. I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to add guilt upon those of you who are single parents trying to do the best you can. But understand, three out of every four children who are raised by a single parent, three out of every four will spend at least some part of their childhood in poverty. In poverty. Whereas the families where you have two biological parents married and committed to one another, raising their children, the chances of those families being in poverty actually are Slim. Slim. One of the greatest predictors of poverty, you're going to turn around and look at the family. What is the family situation? And as families collapse in our society, there is more and more poverty. So yes, absolutely, everybody out there probably has family somewhere, or maybe they don't. Do you understand? you got people having babies these days, and they never, ever get married. They shack up, they have babies, and then the chances of their relationship everlasting are very, very small. And those children are in the world, sometimes with no parents. Do you understand? Parents don't get married anymore, and it is a disaster for children. It's a disaster for children. And children who were raised with no parents, raised in a house where nobody goes to work, raised in a house where nobody shows any kind of commitment to anything, those children are almost destined to live in poverty. And we are the church, we are the people of God. We should be on the front line of trying to restore families in our congregation, families in our communities, families in our culture. If we do not repair families and restore what it means to be a family, one man, one woman, married for life, if we do not restore that, we're not going to make a lot of headway against poverty. Not making that up. You do the research. Look at the statistics. Broken families only add to the poverty in our country. We've got to do everything we can to bring families back together. We've got to strengthen families. I promise it's not enough just to preach at people and condemn people and make divorced people feel like they've somehow made the mistake of their lives. It's not enough just to tell people how they've messed up. We've got to give people hope. We've got to remind them what the foundation is and how to build a family and how to build a church and how to build a community that lifts people up. Poverty alienates. And it often begins in the very, very families that fall apart, collapse before they even begin. And children have just no chance in a situation like that. They often don't have families. And they don't have friends. They don't have friends. You will never know what it is to be poor. Do you understand that? I know that some of you lack what other people have, but you will never be completely poor because you are in this house today and because you know people and you love people and you have friends, and that is why you will never know what it is to be homeless. You will never, ever know. You'll never be out there like other people because you have people in your life. 
What makes a person truly poor? Lack of friends. Basic lack of friends. So what's the answer? We got to love people. We have to be willing to be a friend. Interesting when Jesus was talking to folks about what it is, what it is to have a party, have a big dinner like we're about to have. Jesus says, when you throw a luncheon or you throw a dinner, don't just invite your family and your friends. Who did Jesus say invite? Always invite the poor. See, that's how Jesus' mind worked. And if we have the mind of Christ, our mind should work in the same way. It's not just about our friends, our family. It really is about reaching out. Jesus knew, like we should know, that the way to lift people out of poverty is personally and with your own hand. Lift them up. Be a friend. It's the only thing that works. As Pastor Claudio says, our governments for decades now have sunk all kinds of money. He says zillions. Is that even a word? Zillions of dollars in trying to bring people out of poverty. And the money's not doing it. You cannot buy people's way out of poverty. It's never going to work. There will be no government program that will solve the problem of poverty. There will be no uh, new welfare program that's going to provide enough money to lift people up. Money is not the answer. Love is the answer. You got to be a friend of the poor. You would not let your friend go hungry. You would not let your friend stay on the street. You would not let your friend slip through the cracks. The Old Testament law says you do whatever you have to do to help people who've fallen into poverty. Do not let them disappear. Do everything to make it possible for them to continue to live among you. Not separated off in a slum somewhere. Let them live among you. Let them be a part of your life. So, so I guess the question for us today on this great day of celebration for us, the question I want to ask you is, What is a friend and who are your friends? Simply, a friend is somebody that you let in your life because of affection. You like them. It's a friend. You let them in your life. You come alongside them and you share life together because you like each other. So who are your friends? Jesus says you're going to throw a big dinner, big lunch. Don't just invite the people who are already your friends and family. Go out and invite the poor. Brother Tim, that gets dangerous. You're talking about letting people in my house. I I might be talking about that. You would have to be willing to be a friend with all of the risks that friendship always involves. But do we have another choice? I'm telling you, poverty really is a big problem. It is perhaps the biggest problem of all. And there is no government, there is no one's mind, no one who's going to think up a solution big enough to solve the problem other than the solution that's already been given us from Jesus himself. The only thing big enough to lift people out of poverty is love. So would you be willing to love people that nobody else loves? Would you be willing to reach out and truly make a friend with someone that has no other friends? Because if you would do that, you will 
change a life. I just want to remind you that everything we are celebrating here today, we are so blessed and it is good and and right for us to celebrate and it is the Lord's Day and it is a feast day for us. And truly at Woodburn Baptist Church, we have invited everyone to lunch today. We've done that part right. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I just want to suggest to you that everything we celebrate and everything that we share here among ourselves and everything God has given us now for for over 143 years, it's all meant to be given away. God didn't just bless us because he loves us more than other people. He blesses us because he trusts us to share with the rest. What is poverty? Lack of food, lack of money, lack of shelter, sure. But basically, it's lack of friends. And honestly, if you look around here, friendship is the one thing we've got a lot of. So let's start giving it away. Talking about friendship. Pray with me. God, there are people in the shadow of our steeple who would say they have nobody. It might be they've already used up everybody that's ever known them. They've used up their family and used up what friends they had, but now truly, Lord, they would say they have nobody. There are people under the bridge in Bowling Green who feel like they have nobody. God, we pass people every single day. We drive past them. We we just blow right through, Lord. And they would say they have nobody. And, Lord, we are so often very unconcerned. Lord, we're overwhelmed. We don't always know what to do and how to help. But, Lord, I pray that you would show us that the answer to all of the world's problems is really rather simple. The answer is the answer that you yourself showed us. When you love the world enough to give your son, the answer is love. Lord Jesus, we have love enough to go around in this house because of you, because of what you've given us. Lord Jesus, I pray that as long as we live and as long as we have breath in our lungs and strength in our bones, as long as we have your love in our hearts, Lord, let there be nobody around us who says that they don't have anybody. God, as long as we live, let us live for you, Lord, and live for those who don't know you. Let us, Lord, live to be friends to the poor. We offer ourselves in this way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.